tell you what, right? Right. 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 People love talking about monkeys' paws, right? They just love it. They love, they love, like, slandering monkeys' paws, <laughs> libeling monkeys' paws because of one bad apple. I do have to ask, like, what, what did the monkey do to get the bad wish doing hand that the rabbit did the other way around and, like, ah, that's, that's the good, yeah. that's the good animal hand yeah. for wishes? People love, oh, they god, oh, Lord, they goddamn love to bring up the tortoise and the hare. Oh, they think the tortoise and the hare, oh, that's the big I am. No one talks about the monkey and the rabbit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One monkey has a a, a hand that does bad wishes and suddenly all monkeys do bad wishes with their hands. Yeah, there's got to be a fable in that. There's got to be some lesson you can impart on a child to, you know, imprint your systems of beliefs and morality onto them when they're impressionable. The one I always remember for Lucky Rabbit's feet is the idea of like, well, yeah, lucky rabbit's foot. Not so lucky for the rabbit, though. Well, no. That's that's the lesson you learn from that one. It's a matter of perspective. It's it's a classic, yeah, classic rabbit's dilemma. So, I, I, maybe you got to do something <laughs> to the rabbit's foot when you cut it off. Maybe you got to stuff it with like bits of black cat. Although she's hard to catch, not even Spiderman <laughs> can get her. Maybe it's just because, like, you know, the the the, the monkey's paw. Has the, like, you know, the, the fingers with the bends in, so you can do the very dramatic, like, oop, one wish down. Yeah. Yeah, you can can it off. Like, you know, you can't do that with the, with the rabbit's paw. They've got adorable little toe beans, but you, you can't do yeah. qu- nearly such a dramatic, oops, you've made a wish, you probably shouldn't have done that. Maybe it's because, like, it's, easier to look into the eyes of a rabbit as you're slowly sawing its foot off if you think that there's going to be good luck on the other end of it. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Like, if I was doing it to a monkey, like, it would look really judgy at me. Right. I wouldn't want that. A a rabbit sort of just doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Well, see, maybe maybe intelligence is what's going on. Maybe the monkey is just just high enough up the intelligence chain that it understands what you've done to it and can have the level of spite and desire for revenge that it can channel into its paw. Classic case of monkey vengeance, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The monkey understands what you're doing, chopping its paw off. It's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to put all of my malice into that one hand. Yeah, but if some, if, if just one of those, if just, oh, if Aesop had been, if he'd pulled his fucking finger out and thought about the rabbit and the monkey, could have avoided a lot of problems. Leave the monkey's paw alone, pick up a rabbit's foot. Then again, no one's... You you don't make specific wishes on a rabbit's foot. The rabbit foot might be just as capable of dicking you over. And maybe the monkey's paw also just gives you general good luck, but no one uses it for that. It's just an abuse of a paw. Maybe any animal's extremity works. Maybe people should, you know, just carry dog legs around. With the monkey's paw, you're wishing for something specific. So I suppose, like, if that thing goes wrong, you can go, aha, the monkey's paw did it. Yeah. If you've got the general low-level good luck of the rabbit's foot, anything bad that happens could be like, hey, hey, you've you've had X amount of good luck, now we need to make you stub your toe. Maybe it's just, like, low-level dicking you over all day. Yeah, I mean, we just don't know. The science isn't there yet to test it but with a a small grant from the open university i assume they do things 
still or anything. I don't know. If you make some some donations to our various Patreons, I'm sure we will yeah. be able to begin this scientific research. The fucking National Lottery. Yeah. They funded the Greasy Strangler. They can fucking fund this. Give give us like, you know, three to six years of full-time research and mm. I'm sure we'll come to a resolution. Yeah, we'll sort out this whole, you know, monkey rabbit situation. Well, we'll get back to Pogquisition after that's done. We just need to solve this problem. Yeah, I think we're just going to devote this entire podcast to just lucky animals in general you know you know we we will at some point we'll do a whole episode on the the black cat phenomenon i was about to bring up the black cat phenomenon what why are they considered bad they're the best cats i'm really looking forward to the death watch beetle episode oh conrad's got a black cat we can actually interview ramses on the show oh hell yeah very chatty yeah Lot to say, although I am, I'm a little worried because he does have some views that are a little. Oh. That's true. I was over the other day, and and he was yeah muttering under his breath. Yeah. See, I I want to expand our scope of this this scientific study beyond just animals. Dandelions. Do you get a wish on every one of the little bits that blows off it? Or, like, only for the, the whole batch? Oh, Jesus. Well, now we're just getting into a whole brand of psychic flora and fauna. Because now you've got me thinking about buttercups, like the yellow reflection. If you get that on your chin, will you like butter? Um, because it reflected on mine, but I prefer I can't believe it's not butter, which by its very definition is not butter. Yeah, but they never said butter will be your favourite. They just said, will you like it? And I think everyone to some degree likes butter. Honestly, I prefer something I can fucking spread. Yeah, that doesn't just tear up the bread when you try and spread it. Yeah, I mean, sure, like, throw it in a pan if you need it for some sizzling for something. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I can't cook. I let Conrad do it because it's, it's very yummy. But but other than that, you know, give me give me something spread. Or give me some fucking margarine. Walking under a ladder. Who's who's doing the research on that? Is it is it bad? Who knows? And there we are. Like, like now it's is that gen if we expanded that to general luck or are we counting a ladder like a lucky rabbit's foot as in it's part of a tree? Mm. I think it's part of a tree. I yeah. think that like at what point does the wood from the tree start bestowing you bad yeah. luck? Like how how much of a ladder does that tree have to be yeah. before it's unlucky to walk under it? No, I don't want to expand <laughs> the scope further. <laughs> but Lucky uh, uh, lucky horseshoes, they're metal. Now, yeah. that throws in minerals. At that point, I think this is just a luck-based show, <laughs> but I, I really want to make sure the focus is on animal, vegetable, mineral. But but through the lens of of like you know the the kind of conversation like like Domino from Marvel would would have about animals and vegetables and min minerals. A carrot's lucky. They hope you see in the dark. <laughs> Mi mirrors, it's bad luck to break them But what about yeah. if it's just a shiny reflective surface That isn't glass Like some, you know, some brittle metal I broke a mirror when I was a kid Or a pool of water I mean, you know, if you have a very still surface of water And the right light reflection That functions like a mirror You hit that What does that mean? Uh, that you're in a, a, a Zelda puzzle Right Yeah ah. I fucking hate that I fucking hate mirror <laughs> puzzles Don't do them anymore they're boring and, and they've been done if i see one like this year i'm gonna write to the governor find a penny pick it up all day long you'll have good luck yeah it doesn't even rhyme can you just like pick up the penny go cool i got the good luck friend i'm gonna go pop that down there that's for you yeah that's just paying it forward yeah can we just share the luck why why is it got to be a thing 
Everyone could have luck. We just got to pass the penny around. Well, now you see, that sounds like socialism to me. Oh. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you could then... You could then throw the penny at the ground so they can pick it up. However, that didn't work out too well for Judas. So <laughs> we've really got to be careful with our experimentation because I don't want to hang myself in a vineyard. I think I found our thesis that's like the thing we have to focus this study on. Monkey's poor. Bad luck wishes, right? Yeah. Mm. Cross your fingers. That's good luck. Yeah. What if you forcibly cross the fingers of the monkey's oh, poor? Wow. Oh, oh, you just opened this wide up. Yeah. Welcome to Luck Corner, yeah. your, your premier podcast for animal, vegetable, and mineral-based luck. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's both the most specific and most open podcast subject I've heard a pitch for, outside of just everything. But then again, that's not specific. We've won podcasts. We've invented the perfect podcast. I'll say this, I think we have found the only podcast idea left that hasn't yet been done. Yeah. So where's our reward? Where's our webby? Yeah, I, I would like to see I would like to see all the, the offers coming from the podcast companies to get get us signed up. Yeah. We'll make this a Spotify exclusive, we'll do the luck the, the animal vegetable mineral luck cast. Where's my good games writing nomination? Huh? Yeah. For the for the animal vegetable mineral Ga- video game podcast luck <laughs> based mission. It's, Pog- it's Pogquisition. We're here. Hi. We're here. We're here. It's a brand new year. We survived the last one. You know, it's still more of the same, but you know, fingers crossed we'll start. You know, once once all of the, the politicians and billionaires and, and, and bankers and bank workers and, and everything have had their shots, hopefully. I'll be in line somewhere as an asthmatic. I understand I'm I'm not uh, creating jobs, so jobs that no one can go to till they get the vaccine. But hey, commentary. (laughs) How are you? I had a good birthday. Yeah, we we had a lovely time on your birthday. Yes, thank you for showing up to my live stream that I did on my birthday. Yeah, you, we, 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 we played a game together. Do we want to talk about that first? I want to say thank you to Conrad first for also a uh, lovely birthday. Aww. Went over and fed me pork. A lovely cake was made, I, I heard. I saw pictures. It looked lovely. First of all, he did pork and sauerkraut, which for good Ooh. luck for the year. So that's on point. Mm-hmm. Pig yeah. as well. So pig and cabbage. So, you know, we've got the got everything there for the so that's for the podcast now as well good mm. that's ve- that's a vegetable and an animal right there yeah yeah i fucking love that <laughs> and yeah Con- conrad baked me a validation that was nice he done a cake <laughs> it came out and it was all uh, pink and i was like oh that's a nice pink cake and then he cut it and it was blue in there and then i went hang on that looks fucking blue and then in the middle of that there was white and i went that looks fucking white and then it was a cake that was a trans cake that was a lovely surprise and eat all up in my tummy because it tasted nice as well Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. It, yeah. it was a lot of fun to do, and it was great to have you over. And we played some Betrayal at House on the Hill, and yeah, it was a good Ooh, evening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Found a new way to, to slowly sort of be out um, more in, in public life, you know. Yeah. Stealth it on the way to someone, then by the mm-hmm. end of the evening, too lazy and tired to take it all off. Go home with in the full Femme Sterling and the full regalia, so... So that's a good way of doing things for a while. You've cracked the cheat code. Well done. I'm glad you found it. <laughs> I, c- I can leverage my own laziness against me. Yeah. You've got to know what you've got and weaponize it. <laughs> exactly. 
So, so all told, very good birthday. Yeah. Um, you know, far far better than than you know one could have expected in these uncertain times. Um, and altogether, just a genuinely very lovely birthday. Thank you very much, everyone, and thank you very much yeah. for everyone do good wishes on me and that. So, I appreciate that, everyone. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, round of applause for you. And then, yeah, we we did a little we did a little stream. We hung out for a couple of hours. We played a game that you found just stumbling around Steam that turned yeah. out to be better than we expected. Yeah, I try and avoid Jackbox and 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 um, Among Us because there's a a contrived performative element. And if I'm doing performative, um, you know, it's just going to be me talking about bums and asses. Um, yeah. I, I can't do cards against humanity and stuff like that either. I can't do things where I'm given things and said, be funny with that. Uh, so I was like, fuck, I've got to find something here. And then I, I looked around and I saw this pummel party and I'm like, it's a bit, um, bits of it. I wouldn't say it's like full guys, bits of it are, are trying to appeal to the full guys crowd, I will say. And it's got a lot of Mario party and, and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's basically Mario party with guns. And all of the characters in the minigames move a bit like they would in a Fall Guys where everything's a little bit chaotic. Yeah, although it's not really physics-based. It's a lot of different control schemes and, and, and stuff like that. And, yeah. And most of it's, you know, it's got that, that, that roughness to it. it. It's got some indie jank. Absolutely. It does have a tremendous amount of variety. Yes. And I wouldn't say there's a bad game I played in the bunch, that, you know? I think the first minigame we got in there was a bad first one to have because yeah. it was incredibly chaotic and it gave us a very skewed perspective of what the minigames would be. Yes, it was... We all had lightsabers and the idea is to just run around swinging them, trying to, you know, hit each other. Yeah. But you're, you're moving too fast to see where you're going. So fast, whizzing around, you know, like, like Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi do at the beginning of Phantom Menace when they run away from the droids and the droid but I think you said it, Jim, while we were playing. Like, that game, if we'd played it three or four minigames in, we'd have probably had a good time with it, but we were a little overwhelmed. Yes, because it would have been a nice surprise. Yeah, it would have been a whoa. Yeah, we were a little overwhelmed going straight into it, but like... There's lots, though. Yeah, it's basically Mario Party, um, but on PC and with online multiplayer, which somehow Mario Party games still don't have. Well, you say somehow. The, the somehow is Nintendo. The somehow is Nintendo, yeah. yeah. Nintendo moves, we love them. It's got a few of its own little mechanics going on. You've got keys which replace coins. They're the thing that you need to buy the actual thing that gets you points, which here is chalices rather than stars. But there's also a health system where certain spaces will injure your health, and if your health runs out, you lose, like, half of your resources, and the next player to walk across where you died can just fucking take them all. The minigame variety in there was really good. Like, there was a lot of different genres of yeah. games in there, and they all played surprisingly well. Mm -hmm. yeah. You've got, you know, some some of the, the expected ones, like there's a, a like a pillar with a pitfall all around it and you're in big rolly things trying to bash each other off, you know, a mm -hmm. sumo-y type yeah. thing. There's a light cycle one. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's the one that's like Tron where you're like trying to make snakes with a, a cycly thing and, and trying to make people bash into the, the lines. Yeah. Uh, there's a broomstick one where you're like flying through circles and trying not to... to crash into things yeah but it's like a behind you perspective too um mm -hmm. when you're doing that it's sort of like uh what's that uh forbidden something forbidden zone no there's some old, old uh, sega game 
that I'm thinking of that. Uh, oh, I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh God, I can't remember the bloody name either. I think it's all, always on a bunch of Genesis Space Harrier. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got that from behind you perspective, and you mm-hmm. just move the character quickly around oh. to avoid stuff. That one's cool. Mm. RC Pro Am type one where you're on a, a track, you know, like yeah, yeah. I don't know, getting a remote control car thing. That one was fun too. I think one of my favorites was the one where it was a third person shooter with shotguns, but each shotgun only has one shot in it. Oh yeah, and you've got to wait for them to respawn. See that was that was a fun little twist. Like I'm not usually a shooter person, but the the whole you've got one shot and then you are vulnerable to you find another gun made it feel real fun and chaotic. Or if you're me, you're vulnerable even if you have a gun because you can't hit anybody for <laughs> shit and you're really just a sponge for taking shots. You do what I do, which is you get a shotgun and then you look at where a shotgun has spawned in and you go, when someone goes to pick that up, I'm going to kill them. Yeah, I got wise to that shit. <laughs> Tiny little barn and you still managed to somehow camp it. Like it was, it was a good move. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You racked up. Um, there was one where it's like you got a stack boxes that drop down and the boxes sort of mm. are, are at the top of the screen and they dash from left to right and you've got to time it to try and build a, a tower. That was good. I won that one, so it was a really good one. <laughs> and then there's a couple of other like things that were unique to the stages. Like There were some spaces where if you were the first person to land on a space, you could get the Grim Reaper to steal keys or health every time that uh, someone walked over it. There was a lot of items. There was a good variety of items to use yeah so you uh you mentioned the the health system yeah you can get items which feels almost a bit like worms in a way yeah um, when it's your turn you can bring up a menu of items you've collected on the board and it will be like um uh, as laura mentioned guns you know if you've got a, a gun and someone's in range you can shoot them for for health um you, there's a, a, a an eggplant that you can control and roll it around and get it to someone before it blows up. Yeah, you've got a few seconds to get it to someone, but it rolls really awkwardly because of its shape, so you're sort of against the clock. But you managed to use it effectively to hit two people by positioning it between spaces. It was neat. Yeah, it's. I, I like the rocket that shoots you forward 10 spaces, but if someone is in front of you in the path, it'll skewer them and you get some of their resources. Yeah. And we played it on stream for about like two hours or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Give or take some, you know, faffing about between. We, d- we did the default game length, which is like 25 rounds, and that was, yeah, about two hours. Yeah. And we didn't see a, a repeated game in that run. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, I, I don't... There, it would in time. I don't know how many more there are, but there was a lot. My understanding is we saw about half of the mini games in there. There's, f- I believe there's uh, there's forty five, and we saw presumably twenty five of them because we did a twenty five round game. Okay, that's healthy. Yeah, that's there's a good healthy number we haven't seen. There's other maps we never went to. There was that gun in the corner of that labyrinth that none of us went and found. I'm very curious what that did. I got all confuzzled in the labyrinth. But yeah, for like. What is it like? It was like six pounds, I think, mm-hmm. or something like it that. Was, it was something, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a cheap online multiplayer PC Mario Party, mm-hmm. and it, I had a surprisingly good time with it. I want to stream that again sometime. Yep. Yeah, I'm keeping it on tap for multiplayer things, and you know, streams with more than one person on it. Yeah, it's fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars. That's not bad. That's not bad. Not bad. 
I did discover you can cheese the system to unlock all of the cool outfit stuff, like the rainbow cape it wouldn't let us have. Yeah, I was upset we couldn't get the rainbow cape going. Oh, okay, if anyone picks this up, here's the tip. You create a game that's against the AI that's only one round long, uh, and you know those bonus awards they gave at the end? You can award up to eight of them and make them all for the exact same thing. So just put the AI on easy and be like, give me eight bonus chalices for winning the most mini games." and as long as you beat the easy AI... It's like, oh, that's enough to buy a couple of cosmetic items in about two minutes. That's fair. So I, I did go and unlock all the cool items. So if we play it again, I will have the rainbow cape and the unicorn head as options. Nice. I'm all in on that. Yeah, Pommel Body is pretty fun. Yeah, you found a good one. Yeah. Who else has played something this week that they want to talk about? Well, I uh, I went and played Dead Space again. Dead Space. Dead Space. I love it. I... I... Most people say the second one is the best one, and they're not, in, you know, not wrong uh, in a lot of ways. They're not, yeah, I wouldn't say that they're wrong, but I have, my, I have a soft spot for that first one. Exactly. Yeah. Same here. Yes. Yeah, and it's something that I'll go back every couple of years and play, and just really enjoy because it's not overly long. It has, it's it's tightly paced. It's tense, but it's not so like it's not as intense an experience as I find a lot of horror-focused games to be now, where I just feel sort of overwhelmed and lose interest. Mm. Whereas here, it's just action-y, there's just enough of a threat, but um, the atmosphere contributes effectively, it doesn't go overboard. It really works for me. I like the leveling system in it. But the thing that I'm really just loving about it on this time through is observing how smartly designed the environment is. Mm -hmm. Because so many times in these kinds of games, you do backtracking and it feels onerous or it's really noticeable. And I'm really only just like paying. Oh, that's right. I've passed through here before. I forgot about that. You know, and it does a good enough job of creating the routes so that you're not having to go back through areas while still staying in the same region and returning to it multiple times, making enough minor changes to it as the story progresses that it, it doesn't feel like you're just going through the same place again. Mm -hmm. mm. Really good design. So I've been enjoying that. I'll probably finish it up again tonight. Nice. Yeah. I finished off Mass Effect Andromeda this week. I actually got through that game on my, I think, like, my third or fourth time trying to play it. I, fin I saw the end credits this time. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun playing Mass Effect Andromeda mechanically. It is a shooter RPG that feels fun to play. The, the weird lingering feeling I've had after finishing it is it's really weird finishing a game like this years after its release, knowing that it's never going to get the sequels that were very clearly planned. Because so much of the final act of Mass Effect Andromeda is very heavy-handedly setting up a DLC that never got released and a sequel that never came. A lot of the end of that game is here's a moral choice, it's very difficult, oh, there's going to be consequences for that in the sequel. It is a lot of, ah, you've defeated the enemy, but here, we're going to show you a big silhouetted shot for for 45 seconds of the, the second in command. Oh, they're going to be a tough villain when, when you fight them in the next game. The most egregious, perhaps, is there is this whole DLC that was meant to be added, and like as you're, you've finished the final boss, you're, ramping, you're wrapping up toward the credits, the credits are about to play, and they're like... Oh, 
oh, oh, we found this big ship that's going to be the DLC. Oh, you can't go there quite yet, but don't worry. Any any second now, it'll be time for you to go do that. And then they really, really, really hammer home how big a, how big a part of the narrative it's going to be, and it just doesn't exist. But I, I enjoyed it very much from a completionist standpoint. It is a game that makes it very easy to drop down into a, an open environment that is not so overwhelmingly large that you can't see everything in it, and just go, here's like 30 quest markers, go get a number up to 100%. And I very much enjoyed being very, very methodical making my way across space. I, th I think the reason I didn't get through it the last couple of times I played it was because it does it throws a little too much at you. I, I think the last couple of times I've played it, I've just burnt out on it because I have tried to play absolutely sing every single quest marker that comes up in the game, which it's constantly throwing at you. But I like the action set piece at the end. I liked a lot of the party members that you got to play with. It's a real shame that it's just rehashing a lot of the conflicts for most of its runtime from the original trilogy. Oh, we left to go to Andromeda before the end of the trilogy happened. So the Krogan and the Salarians don't like each other because of the Genophage. Doesn't matter that you fix that in Mass Effect 3. They're having that same argument over here in Andromeda now. They really underuse their opportunity to introduce new species. They basically have one new friendly species and one enemy species, and other than that, it's just... It's just the species that you had in the original games having the same arguments that they had there because we're pretending that Mass Effect 3 never happened and you can solve the problems in a different corner of space. Like, I, I had fun, but it, it's, it is a clearly kind of broken game that never got the chance to be fleshed out. Also, it's still a buggy mess. I fell through the world a couple of times, and at one point the world just completely inverted its colours for a while. That game fundamentally never got fixed very much. No, it's total nonsense. Yeah, I had, I had fun with it in spite of it. <laughs> I'm glad that I finished it, but it did. I did walk away going, yeah, but I... I I do want to know how those plot threads ended. It does feel weird to set up, to be like, oh, I wonder I wonder how this choice... Oh, yeah, no, of course, that choice isn't going to mean anything because there's no second game for them to go, oh, that faction don't like you anymore. Just none of that payoff. What about you, Jim? What have you been playing? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> what have I played? I played uh, a lot of Cloudpunk. Hmm. You've tried playing this a couple of times before, right? I have tried to get into it. <laughs> I got more into it recently. Hmm. Well, the story and the world and all of the stuff, you know, what makes it a, uh, a good politics game, I guess. <laughs> um, all of the stuff that a lot of people are uh, praising about it, like, it's there and that, that bit has hooked me. But as a fucking video game, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. God, yeah, it's it's fighting me in my my uh, uh, dogged quest to tolerate it for the the stuff that I like. Uh, it's just getting around that world, like like the idea of the game is to drive around in a sort of you know cyberpunky place, you know, with your flying car, being talked at over the radio, you know, with the story going on and all that. 
but I hate driving. The car is so like it sways and it's wobbly and, and everything. And you've got to get upgrades to make it even, you know, vaguely better, uh, mm-hmm. which still isn't good at all. I find it unpleasant half the time to drive it. And to a certain extent, that is like. Don't say it. Perfectly good. I know. I know, right? I, you know what I'm going to say. Like, and, well, obviously, it's a metaphor for how miserable the experience of I the can, character is navigating this existence. But that doesn't mean you want to do it. It doesn't make you want to have that experience. I came to the show today with one explicit phrase I was going to say, which is, <laughs> don't fucking tell me that's the point of it. Because I'm not at home for that bullshit. I'm not at home for that bullshit. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the point, but it is a facet. The point The point is, is I've still got to play the unpleasant thing at the end of the day. Right. I've still got to have a sh- an actual shit time for you to make your point, apparently. It can be a true observation and also be a criticism of the game. Yep. You had an idea that on paper is smart, but that doesn't mean it's fun to play. I'm sat there constantly fixing the fucking thing, thinking, oh, look, here's the point again. I love the point for hours and hours on end. I love it when video games make the point. There have been games that have done this before, but usually they don't do it with the whole game. Like, the one that I always think of is, I think it's Far Cry Blood Dragon that does the ha ha ha, we're doing uh, an awkward gets-in-your-way tutorial that's not very fun, but we're being meta about it. That's at least only the tutorial. You don't want to have the, well, oh, we're making making it unfun to play for a point. Don't do that for your whole game. That's it. It's like the Death Stranding thing at the end of the day. You know what? You made the exact game you want and good for you. And and a lot of people are loving it. So, you know, it's not like you've made an objectively shit thing. But fucking hell. Fucking hell. And And the map is just a mess getting around things. And look, right? Here's a good one for you. What part of the socio-political commentary entails having to stand there listening to talking when you could be driving to the next objective, but they've not given it to you? Now, before anyone says, well, it's more believable for them to put the nav point on the map when they're saying they're going to put a nav point on your map, but fuck off. Yep. Yep. That pretty much covers it. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't want to stand there. Fucking listening when the point is to drive and hear the story Because once I start driving, you've got more fucking story for me And there's always a good chance it won't cover the long, bumpy ride Traversal in games should start off good and get better Not start shit and work up its way to good Well, I mean, I don't know if there's more upgrades But it's not worked up to good It's worked up from fucking Fallout 76 to Wastelanders Is what it's done in terms of driving <sighs> Overall, it's it's a more pleasant experience for me than uh, Fallout 76 But it's a game that is really fighting me But it's given me ideas to talk about, you know, in future This this Where a lot of games, especially these days Have their themes looked at a lot more Sometimes to the exclusion of even talking about the mechanical side Because some people just aren't here to talk that Mm -hmm. Um, So I find it an interesting thing to um, talk about Uh, So I'm I'm just sort of getting some thoughts together And some stuff together to talk about that Uh, So that'll be good But I do think it's interesting because we have for so long Heard it from the other end 
from people who yeah. are really only interested in the mechanical yeah. underpinnings of things. And we've been, you know, to a certain extent, like, I don't, you know, want to get all centrist or anything, but there's always, <laughs> I think for me, certainly, there's been a middle ground yeah. that I don't think anybody should be focusing too much on any one thing uh, in a video game, but trying to assess how those all contribute to the whole. But they're valid ways to look at things. Yeah, well, I think ultimately it depends what you want. You know, some right. people do just want to look at certain aspects. You know, I did a whole video on on the politics of Dark Souls, but then again, I've already made the point elsewhere that you know I really like the game. Um, so yeah, that's something I'm thinking of. And, and you know, when it comes to to coverage on the other end, I said to you, Conrad, the other day, like as a when I was doing game reviews. Um, I very much, you know, looked more at the mechanical side. I taught story and stuff, but, mm -hmm. you know, if I wanted to talk about anything else, more, more overarching, more thematic and stuff, I'd usually save it for something else. But, you know, uh, it's just something to, to talk about. Um, but then again, I mean, there, I, I don't know many opinions on the mechanics of Cloudpunk. Most people talk about the, the writing and everything. So I don't know. Maybe there are, Maybe a lot of the people do genuinely love that other side of it as well. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there are people who do love that because there is something to be said for a totally chill, I'm not in a hurry to get anything done, I'm just taking all of this in. That's not for me. Yeah. It's for me in some instances, but it has to feel purposeful in doing that. And Jim's description thereof... I can't just amble around in the car because I don't know where I'm going. It's not great. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that really takes me out of it. Yeah. Now, look, I'm not a designer. So if I'm wrong on this, absolutely, you know, put me in the stocks in the village um, where Conrad is a freedom fighter for the resistance and not a baron. Thank you. Yeah. You've got a, a cap on. It's a tricorn hat. It's very fetching. Haven't decided if it's got a feather in it yet or not. We'll see if you're, well, we'll we'll see if you're a good yeah. boy today. <laughs> uh, oh, I've got pickled beets in the fridge. Brilliant. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, The other thing. Oh, my God. So, yeah, if I'm wrong about this on an artistic level, do tell me, everyone. But in my opinion, if you have an individual character portrait for every uh, NPC you talk to and not as many NPC character models, do not make both the portraits... And the character models so fucking distinct that they look nothing alike to the point of having different accessories and cyborg bits on or masks in either the portrait or the model and not the other way round. <laughs> like, like, you've got generic fucking uh, uh, security guards and stuff. Surely you can make those two things look the same. It's just, it's so different. It's... Like, like, and they've got some more generic models walking around, you know. But, but it, it's not everyone. Ah, oh, I like the art style. It's weird. There's a character with a cigar that walks around, looks exactly like the the fella from the Money for Nothing video. Great times all around, <laughs> fun for all the family. Yeah. But, 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 but that really throws me. It absolutely gets me every time. I'm like, you look nothing alike. Like, make the character models a bit more generic or something. That's like, you know, I'm not so unreasonable as to say there should be an individual model for everything. That is ridiculous. But make the NPCs perhaps a bit less like they could all be main characters in another video game. Hmm. 
other stuff we have played this week. Very quickly, I'm getting toward the end of Yakuza Like a Dragon, finally. I'm getting toward the end of that. And I have a thing I want to talk about with it that's just like a weird design decision that I don't entirely understand. So up until like this point, the game has been like, it's an RPG. It's been levelling up pretty, pretty evenly um, as you go through. There's been no points in the game where I have felt the need to go and level grind, yep. which has been nice with an RPG. Um, I think it helps I've been doing like every side quest when it comes up, because the side quests are half the reason to be playing it anyway. And at about level 35, something very strange happened in this game. Suddenly there is a requirement for you to be 15 levels higher out of nowhere. You've got to be level 50 to go do the next quest. Oh! Huh. Wait, th- it, this isn't like a mobile like Marvel game, is it? Oh, no, 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 no. 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 This, this, this isn't even the weird bit. Okay. So, okay, this is an RPG. You've decided to have a random level spike where I'm going to have to... It's taken me, th- you know, the weeks that I've been playing this to get to level 35. I guess I'm just going to have to level grind for several hours. Yeah. And then not two seconds after learning that I need to jump 15 levels up, they give me this tower and they're like, hey, here's the battle tower. It's 30 floors. It's going to take about an hour to complete by the time you get to the top of it an hour from now you will have jumped up 15 levels so they basically it's the anti-microtransaction they've given you a grind and a way to skip it but the way to skip it is more gameplay that's interesting it's it's interesting and i don't know how to feel about it because like i enjoyed the battle tower it's its purpose is purely there to be like look we know you're going to go into this at roughly level 35 we're going to give you 30 back-to-back fights that are just about leveled so that they will be completable and give you a bunch of experience. Yeah. And like every couple of fights you will level up and we will keep that that pace going. And I'm like, but why did you need me to be 15 levels higher? What did I achieve by doing that? Yeah. Why not just scale down the villains I was going to fight? <laughs> it feels like what so many games do, uh, as I said, for, for monetary purposes, for, for using leverage yeah. and grind and a player's impatience to do something, except it's it's done what Nintendo does where it tries to railroad you into, say, using an accessory or, or a certain controller. Mm. So in terms of leverage and grind against someone, getting them interested in a battle tower that uh, you can just play... And, and the thing is, it's... It was a good battle tower for a, for a couple of hours grind. It had, like, interesting little sub-challenges you could do, like, oh, if you complete it under these optional objectives, you'll get better items. It was a fun thing to do, yeah. to grind me up that 15 levels that for a minute seemed like it was going to be a, like an eight-hour boring grind fest. Maybe like Cloudpunk, that's the point. It's it's to give you a sense of pride and accomplishment. You know, you, you're you like, hey, this is too strong. I will, you know, do the Dragon Ball Z thing and, and try. I'll train, hyper train in weighted clothing in a gravity box. Yeah, you bring up Dragon Ball Z, that's the thing I kept thinking about. It felt almost like like the training arc in an anime where it's like, yeah. I'm going to go into this room and when I come out, I will have learned some new moves and I will be super strong. And it felt kind of cool. There you go. It was a, it was a, it was a weirdly interesting way to go about. Cause like the more I think about it, the more I think what they were trying to do was, look, we want you to f- have access to all your cool attacks. We recognize that the level, leveling curve has been fine up to this point, but we just want to give you a bunch of cool moves before you go fight the next thing. Cause that's going to be quite tough. We'll, we'll just skip you up 15 levels as an excuse to give you all your cool attacks. I was like, yeah, sure. 
So it was a, it was a weird experience this week. I'm I'm very glad still that I've not felt like Yakuza has wasted my time and made me have to do unfun level grinding, which was one fear I had with them moving to an RPG. So yeah, I'm near the end of it. I'm having a, having a very good time. Nice. Yeah. What about you, comrade? What have you been playing? Uh... Real monsters on the Genesis. <laughs> I have played that within the last couple of years, and that's yeah. weird to think about. Um, so I, I started playing a, a little game called Carto. Mm. It's on. Um, it, it wound up on Game Pass. That's the word I was looking for. Mm. I guess it came out back in October, and it's this very cute little puzzle game, narrative-driven puzzle game, where you are a little girl that has been knocked out of their airship where they live with their grandmother and they're with the magic map that the grandmother has, uh, which allows you to restructure the order of, uh, you know, land masses. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've, I've seen this. It's got a really cute art style. Yeah, it has sort of a paper crafty type uh, aesthetic to it. It's really cute. And the way it works is it's just like a tile, uh, you know, a tile puzzle thing where each of the blocks represents pieces of a map. And they have to match with the sides that you join them on to place them. And then you go into it and you can wander over to that place and find another map fragment and then integrate that in and then meet characters. And they'll say, oh, well, I'm looking for my house. It's east of X. And so you have to position the map into that place to make that thing appear. And so there's all sorts of just like little context clues that you get from characters as to how you're supposed to arrange these things to make something else happen that allows you to then progress further and accomplish their goals. And it just goes from one little island to another to another, um, telling this story of your character Carto making their way back to their grandmother and people they meet along the way it's really sweet um i'm having fun with it it looks super charming i'm i'm yeah yeah it's very cute yeah so worth worth checking out i i'm going to go get that downloading now did you say that's on game pass it's on game pass right now nice yeah that looks like the kind of just laid back wholesome thing that's not going to yeah i think it'd be right up your alley yeah yeah Okay, expect me to have probably played it by next week then. <laughs> what about you, Jim? Who, me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, i tell you what, though, quickly. I do like it when people, like, ask something about my work or, or something, um, or just me in general, and someone else will answer with total authority. <laughs> and, and it's just, and it's come from nowhere. Nowhere. Right. One of the things is the prawn stuff, um, because I, I, for years, have put images of prawns in the Jimquisition. Now, one common, but not not consistent, uh, use of it is is having it appear on screen at the same time I say, however. Now, that's not even something I consciously pick up on. But I will actually just claim it's what As Seen on IRC says, um, when, again, said with total authority... Uh, this, it's comma-shaped to go on the end of the however. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is Love definitely what it's always been. Yeah, yeah. You, you, that, that's a very smart idea yeah. you had a long time ago. It's not just that I like prawns. 
Yeah, so that's good. I have been playing, speaking of, of you know, animals, what can be eaten, I've been playing uh, Metal Gear Solid the 3, the Snake Eater. Oh, how many snakes have you eaten so oh, far? Oh, God, I've lost count. So many. Snakes, spiders, frogs. I mean, that's even in the song. Someday you'll eat on a tree frog. So, you know, or some days you'll eat on a... Well, either way, I ate on a, on a fucking tree frog. Snake Eater's great. Snake Eater is fucking great. Yep. I've got to say that right now. It is fucking great. I just got done recently with Metal Gear Solid 4, um, which is an interesting game that I might pen a long discussion on at some point. It is an interesting thing, uh, especially as the one not a lot of people talk about much these days. Um, But Snake Eater is still just absolutely top tier stuff we want to talk about things that happen in games that are the point of it um don't get me wrong there's some ponderous shit in every single metal gear solid game mm-hmm. um, but some of the stuff that the the metal gear solid 3 does is one of the biggest differences that i noticed is metal gear solid 4 obviously has a lot of cutscenes and it's famous for really long ones and they are ridiculous and metal gear solid 3 or none of them get as bad as that but there's still some really long stuff in snake eater a lot of it i'm subjecting myself to willingly sure because it's so fucking entertaining the codec conversations and this is a a, a problem that that four had is not only is the whole world and story by that point so fucking grim that i don't want to to spend all that much time in it um, there's not a lot to do with the codec and stuff. You can call Otacon and, and, and Rose, I think. Uh, and that's about it. Whereas in, in Snake Eater, there, and, and the others as well, there are different things you can call and, and there's lots of optional dialogue that's usually interesting enough and sometimes informative, you know, like little, not all of it factual or, or correct, um, but little facts about, you know, history and politics and weaponry and all of this stuff. And, uh, in Snake Eater with all of the animals you're hunting to, to keep your stamina up. Um, you can call paramedic on the radio and, and she'll explain, uh, the things you've caught, uh, the plants and the animals and whether they're lucky. And there's a running joke of, you know, naked snake, like, oh, what does it taste like? Oh, snake, you, you piece of shit. Um, so it's really good. And then you get new weapons. You can call Sigint or, or, you know, you can call, uh, Zero or, or Eva at times, you know, like all the others. But, but the other big difference is it's, way more light-hearted for much of it there's serious stuff there, there's drama and there's some really sort of the ending as well is a real uh famous for being you know high on the drama but the, the animal conversations are really uh amusing at points and just goofy the game does all of the the playing around with um games as a medium to add to it and and it's got that that campy element to it that james bond vibe because because that was a, a big inspiration so it's. I think one of the reasons it, it's held up as the best one is because it's perfectly balanced between um, more serious stuff uh, and and the the goofy stuff. Uh, I think there's a really good balance there, and the gameplay is you know varied and and. The boss fights are not just some of the best in the series, but some of the best ever. The Cobra unit are great in terms of the way they look and uh, behave and the boss fights themselves. Um, so, yeah, yeah, having a blast with it. I'm on the Fury at the moment. I like the Fury. The boss fight isn't all that great, but it's a really good character. Best death scene in the thing. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Eight, eight mushrooms and, and, and bats. 
And I, I love that thing yes. where in various parts of the maps, there are like storehouses with food or weapons and stuff in. Mm-hmm. And then you can blow those up. And then <laughs> in, around that area, the soldiers will be like, I'm so hungry. Ah. And then you can throw down like poisoned food and rotten food and, and they'll like run over to it and gobble it up and then be sick. And if you blow up a munitions room, then their weapons all, um, I think they've only got one mag in their regular weapons. And I love that stuff. Um, and there's all sorts of little bits like that in the game. Like, you know, you can capture a snake alive and rather than eat it, you can throw it at an enemy. Just all little touches like that. That's the stuff I really appreciate about Metal Gear Solid. Um, and the stuff I appreciate about, you know, what Kojima and his team have done over the years, but, just took it too far in the end. When he's got just enough restraint to not go completely off the deep end. Well, that's one of the things I really love about Metal Gear Solid 3 in the context of the Metal Gear series is that its setting limits the scope of the bullshit you can shove in to a great extent. You can't have nanomachines. Yeah. Yeah, so that's another problem with 4, is it's so many cutscenes to just say nanomachines did it. <laughs> I mean, nanomachines did do it. <laughs> the Cobra unit aren't explained in this. And that I find that pretty cool. Like, their powers yeah. aren't explained and that. Although, you know, later things, of course, had to take all the magic and fun out of it. Fucking voice parasites. Are you suggesting you don't like when we learn about midichlorians, yeah. for example? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the best <laughs> things about, about 3 is it didn't over-explain a whole bunch of shit. And there's still a whole lot of, oh, this was always the plan kind of shit. But it's it's a lot more restrained than something like 4, which then went through the entire series and said everything was part of someone's scheme. <laughs> um, and then just, again, I, I find too much of that just takes the fun out of it. I like to think some of the story is spontaneous, you know? Like, some of the conclusion, like, the heroes had an effect on it. Yeah. I mean, Metal Gear Solid 4 basically ends with nothing you did or will ever do matters. <laughs> uh, and it's been... That gets played so often in this series. And at least when 3 does it, there was, like, an extra level of actual narrative tragedy to it. There was an actual level of... Re- there was a reason for it, other than just trying to be clever and having a twist for a twist's sake. Mm. Like, I just think everything is... is It's still got issues, but, but all the bits it gets right are, are the best Kojima's ever done it. Uh, and, and, you know, Kojima's team and that. So I'm very much into it. It's got, yeah. it's, it's very fun to play it again and very, uh, easy to get back into despite the really weird controls. Mm. Every time I replay it, I always like fumble up until about after the pain. That's about once I've gotten used to the weird as fuck, uh, aiming and shooting controls. Yeah. Yeah. Conrad, what, what about you? What you been playing, Conrad? No, I've been waiting for you to talk about Hades. Oh, have you been playing Hades? I got back into Hades. Clear game of the year, if I haven't said it mm. explicitly anywhere else. It is... I heard it won an award. Far and above my game, game of the year. I, I'm still working my way through that game slowly. Um, I, I've deliberately kept it as my, like... I want to have things to do for a very long time with it, so I'm portioning it out to myself. Mm-hmm. But um, I finally unlocked the final aspect of the gun that seems real fucking interesting. It is. Yeah, it is, it, it seems. I have been making some progress on the post-game plot now, so I've been he- learning all about, like, ah, here's, here's the next thing we're going to try and, and make happen. Um, now, now that we've we've seen the credits roll, here's the next story, and that's been unfolding nicely. And just, I continue to just have nothing bad to say about Hades. 
Hades is a fucking perfect video game. Yeah. It is great and amazing. And I've never had a game that I've had that I've struggled so much to find a caveat, any caveats to recommending. It's just no, it's just a it's just a great video game. So I love Hades. Yeah. I do. Yeah, if I had to give a caveat. Mm, well, you say have. <laughs> oh, you revel in it. He, uh, Conrad phoned <laughs> me up. He never calls. He phoned me up this morning and said, I can't wait to take a hot, wet dump on Hades today. I've, I've found a caveat. I've been searching for, for years. And I said, what do you mean years? And he said, shut up. If you don't like downtime between your runs, which I don't care for much, um, yeah. Get Hades. Uh, yeah. Which, and get Hades anyway. It's fucking great. But yeah. uh, as a result of this criticism, Jim had recommended, um, and I, I've heard Casey Explosion praise this up and down for a while. Um, I started playing Curse of the Dead Gods this week. I saw you playing this on stream and it looked really good. I have picked it up to check out. Yeah, it is very interesting it's very different from hades i mean it shares the same perspective uh you know camera angle thing um it is a run around and beat things up game but it's much more deliberate in its combat approach um so each face button corresponds to a different attack, just like in Hades, and you have a primary weapon and a secondary weapon, and then later you'll pick up two-handed weapons uh, pretty quickly in the game. And the primary weapons have this combo that differs based on the type of weapon that it is, and then there will be variants of that base type that will have like different effects where they you know, get a greater... For, they get critical damage after something happens or they'll do poison or they'll grant more money on you. So there's some variability in groupings of weapons. And the secondary weapons all tend to be like slower and the more tactical. And the, the primary and secondary can be used in this sort of offhand combo thing where you can interrupt your primary weapon combo to do an attack with the secondary that has some kind of special effect. So if you have a pistol equipped and you're swinging away with a sword before you finish that sword combo, you could pull out the gun and it has this shotgun blast that can damage multiple enemies in front of you and push them back. Um, or if you use a shield, it will just knock that enemy a great distance away from you. Or the whip will be a, a circular swing that affects enemies all around you as you're finishing up a combo. But then there's this stamina system that forces you to slow down and be more strategic with it. Secondary weapon attacks, the combo finishes with your primary weapon, dodge rolls, these things all cost stamina to use and you have... I think a starting stamina of four or five actions that you can take before you have to cease attacking and allow it to regenerate. Um, there's a couple other ways to get it back. When you kill an enemy, you'll get stamina. Or if you can dodge perfectly through an attack, you'll get the stamina that you use to dodge back. Or if you uh, do, do a parry. And that's one of the things that is like, oh, I can see why Casey loves this game so much mm. because it has a dark souls sort of back and forth approach to combat that you can take that's really appealing and it wants you to use that parry i 
don't do parry much in anything. I'm bad at it as a rule. In fairness, this seems pretty forgiving with it. I'm starting to try and get the hang of it, but it's I'm still resisting it. And, and it's so useful to get the stamina back and also weaken enemies on a parry. But, oh, it's not my thing. And then to add to this, to put additional pressure on, there's a greed system. It's like a, a combo system that increases the value of gold drops from enemies um, if you can kill them before the, the meter runs down. And that's really good. I love a combo system that you know introduces risk reward and makes you play more aggressively. And it's really useful in this because there's also a corruption meter that increases as you go to every room in the temple that you're exploring, it increases when you get hit with certain attacks. And whenever it gets filled, it activates a curse, which is some modifier that in theory makes the run more difficult. Uh, sometimes it just makes them more interesting, um, but it also will have some kind of other silver lining. And if you get five of these, it's just a health drain. Uh, so you have to keep that in check as you go along, finding ways to reduce it, uh, to reduce how quickly it goes up, try not to take hits from that. And most of the rooms that you travel to have some sort of a shrine that you can try to get uh, a better weapon or improve a weapon you already have or get relics that will provide passive effects or even attribute bonuses to base stats. But these, you have to pay for them. And you can pay for them in cash or you can pay for them in blood. And if you pay for them in blood, then it just it's an increase to that corruption meter and just makes it that much harder to possibly win if you get a particularly bad effect because some of them are legitimately debilitating. And then you can only remove them by defeating the bosses along the route. So it, it builds up. It's pretty cool. It's got a map system that I prefer to how Hades does it to where you can see if I go this way, I'll get access to this upgrade, this upgrade, this upgrade, this upgrade along the way as opposed to, all right, I'm faced with two choices. I don't know how it might possibly affect anything else down the line. This makes it a bit more strategic and I'm into that. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things about it is the degree of interactivity that you have with the environment and how it uses fire-related effects. So, in addition to your weapons, you have a torch, which does function as a weapon, I guess. Uh, it doesn't really do much damage, but you can light shit on fire. And so, you can light braziers on fire, and when you're in light, you deal more damage and take less damage than you do when you're in darkness. Um, and there are effects that can improve that or negate that. But there's also explosive barrels you can set on fire, and cobwebbed bits of floor that you can just light and enemies in them will start taking fire damage or it will be now something you have to avoid because you're susceptible to it. Uh, there are flamethrower objects that are just sitting there waiting for you to put a torch to them and blast this huge gout of flame in to the middle of the room. Um, and, you know, since everybody is susceptible to all of the trap damage and things like that, the game does a good job of encouraging you to leverage the environment with combo effects in your inventory to maximize what you're getting out of every action to kill enemies. Um, it's really satisfying. It's really challenging. It's going to take me a long time. I don't know that I'll ever get good enough at it to finish uh, some of these longer runs in the game. I'm slowly improving, but I suspect eventually I'll, I'll hit a 
threshold for myself to where I just am not getting parries down well enough to be effective and you know, my charge in strategy isn't working and I'll just stop. But uh, if you like Dark Souls combat and you like Hades, this is a really, really interesting game to check out. So yeah, yeah. that's Curse of the Dead Gods. It's good. Nice. The only other game I played this week that I wanted to talk about is I've been playing some of the Flight Simulator VR update that's finally released. And this is very quickly replacing Euro Truck Simulator in my I want to listen to a podcast and play something. Just sort of get get a little bit lost in a game. Calm, a calm time game. I am still phenomenally taken aback by how detailed the real world mapping in this game is. All the more so in VR. There is something very, very peculiar and really fascinating about being able to do... Like, today... In VR, I took off from my local airport from near where I grew up, followed the roads from where I used to drive past there to find my parents' house and fly over it. Did a little flyover of my parents' house. Huh. Followed the roads from there down to past where I lived uh, when I first started writing, down to the seafront, and then sort of planned my own little route along the seafront up to the airport nearest to where I currently live, having done a flyby and seen my own house. That's exciting. The fact that that is doable in this video game is... It still kind of boggles my mind. And I know that it's basically just fancy Google Maps data with some some fancy algorithm stuff they've done to work out height, rough heights of buildings, but it does the trick. I'm finding hours and hours just going by without me noticing. I'm just flying my little planes around the country, looking at places I know and being like, oh, I haven't been, haven't been to this place in a while. I'll go, I'll go do a little fly past. Oh, there's a place I recognize. It's been scratching the itch of I want to be traveling and I can't be traveling right now. Uh, I wish Cloudpunk felt like that when you played it. That sounds great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been lovely. It's it's very nice to just fly a little plane around and go, oh, I know that. That's the Oceanarium down near where I grew up. The little the little fish fish zoo aquarium. That's the word. Fish <laughs> zoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> that game continues to be a ridiculous resource hog in VR. On my very expensive fancy new computer, it struggles to hold 30 frames a second sometimes. Um, it's fine once you've taken off. Weirdly, it's when you're on the ground at airports that it really struggles. As soon as you're up in the air, it's like, yeah, it's fine. It's all good. We got it. Yeah. Well, I suppose it's all the buildings and, and stuff rendered down there, whereas it's mostly clouds and, and sort of far away stuff up there. And from what I can tell, most of the airports are hand-modelled, as opposed to a lot of the, like, this is Google Maps data that we extrapolated height onto. Yeah. These are usually, like, we took photos of the actual airport and recreated it in proper three detailed 3D models, which I think is part of the issue. But yeah. as soon as you're up in the air and flying roughly in the direction that you've told the game you're going to go... It, it sorts itself out pretty quick. Well, that's all right. Yeah, it's it's just been nice to have a a little little escape kind of a game. I've been enjoying that a lot. It has somewhat soured me on Euro Truck Simulator because I've now been spoiled by getting to to follow roads that I know and they take me where I expect them to take me. I want to have a Euro Truck Simulator three where you just use this Google Maps technology and let me drive down the actual routes that I know to go places. Let me go explore the UK in a truck. Yeah. In real time. You might know a better way anyway. 
I know better way round. Exactly, exactly. I know better than the sat nav. If you make it like I know it, I know how to get there. Exactly. We got time for a little bit of news before we finish up this week. Sure. We got one newsy bit this week that I know I know Conrad has some thoughts on. We chatted about a little bit about it before we started. So there is an article on Bloomberg currently, which features a bunch of interviews with um, various people from Microsoft. And it's about the fact that when Microsoft were first trying to make the Xbox, they tried to buy some pretty fucking big companies. Well, it's the, okay. The article on Bloomberg is like a retrospect, like an oral history of the de- re- development and release of the original Xbox console. Yeah. Um, now, one of the stories that's being spun out of this is about uh, specifically Microsoft's approach to uh, acquiring companies early on in the Xbox history. And specifically the headline that a lot of places have taken from this Bloomberg article is Nintendo laughed their asses off at Xbox making a buyout offer. Which, yeah, of course they would. Yeah, it's like being a company and being like, yeah, let's go buy Disney. It's like, no, fuck, fuck no. We, we don't need to be bought out. No. Yeah, no. Nintendo was would have been perfectly fine. They would have looked at Microsoft coming into that space and been like, uh, no, we're good. Uh, but also in that list, uh, well, Nintendo was their second choice. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to go for the first one? <laughs> they went for Electronic Arts, which I'd love to have been there for that meeting where they're like, uh, excuse me, assholes? This this is our thing. What are you doing? I, I will say, Electronic Arts makes a lot of sense knowing like how they position the brand of the Xbox. EA is like the most... If you're going to try and throw your money around, EA is a very Xbox kind of brand. I f- and I forget what position EA was in at that time. Well, they were, they were going to be pretty stable because they still had the sports franchises, and that was always mm-hmm. their bread yeah. and butter. Yeah, I mean, they were certainly very strong for a long time. I just wonder whether they were at the level to completely laugh an offer off. Oh, probably not laugh it off, but they, you know, it's, I suspect that they were in pretty good shape even then. I'd have to go and, and really look at it. Oh, yeah, I'm not suggesting they were in trouble. Yeah, then there were a couple of others. Yeah, yeah. Square. Square Enix is an interesting one because it... No, not Square Enix. Square. And that's what's significant to me. What's what's interesting to me about these other two that are mentioned in this article, them being Square and Midway, both of which have since been acquired mm. by other companies. Because Midway talk about in, in this article, they're, they're like, yeah, Midway wanted to be bought out. We just couldn't make the deal work. Because Microsoft correctly assessed that there wasn't a whole lot of value at Midway for them. Yeah. Mm. Whereas the problem was the opposite way around for Square, where Microsoft made an offer and Square were basically like, not enough fucking money, no. Yeah. Like, Microsoft, you have infinity money to throw around, but apparently you don't have buying Square money. Well, they probably did have buying Square money, but it, it has to, you know, their balance sheet and what they're willing to offer to, to have it. Yeah. I mean, I'd have paid top dollar to release the Midway collection every three <laughs> years, but... <sighs> it, it's interesting because, like, it, one of the big problems that Microsoft had for the longest time with the Xbox was that they just couldn't get a foothold in Japanese-developed games. And it, it seems like they, they definitely had a desire to try and buy their way out of that situation up front. Yeah. Like, they clearly knew it was a 
weakness they had. Oh, sure. I mean, when the console war stuff was, you know, a lot of it's died down now, but it was still raging back then. And, you know, Microsoft's struggle to get anywhere in Japan was something that, you know, the, the PlayStation friends would love to bring up. Yeah, I I know the Nintendo one we sort of glossed past. I I think what was kind of interesting about that, obviously there's the slightly tongue-in-cheek comment in here where it's like, we we, we asked if they'd consider being acquired, they laughed their asses off. Imagine an hour of somebody just laughing at you. It's kind of how that meeting went. (laughs) I would love to, I would love to do more than imagine that. I would, oh, there should be a record. They did correctly assess, though, the sort of relative strengths and weaknesses of these two companies and where they could be best applied. I will grant them that. I I don't know that they did, because, like, here's, I, I, I know what you're talking about. There's a point in this where they, they say, we had Nintendo in our building in January 2000 to work through the details of a joint venture. We gave them all the technical specs of the Xbox. The pitch was that their hardware stunk, and compared to Sony PlayStation, it did. So the idea was, listen, you're much better at the game stuff with Mario and all that, why don't you let us make the hardware? And I feel like that's probably why this negotiation didn't go anywhere, because Nintendo fucking loves their hardware. They're proud of their hardware. Well, yeah, I mean... I imagine the reason Nintendo laughed them out of the room is they're like, what, be bought out by the company that makes generic consoles? We've got weird ideas we want to do. The company that's not... Like, making a system that isn't doing well over here. Yeah. Right. And that's that's just it. The same strengths and weaknesses that the two companies have are exactly the same reasons why this arrangement never would have worked. Yeah. Because Nintendo's not going to be happy with any of the bland bullshit that Microsoft was going to generate out of their hardware division. And Microsoft wouldn't know what to do with marketing anything Nintendo had anywhere. No. Mario would have been a cover shooter. Everything was a fucking cover shooter. Microsoft is correct that they know how to make powerful, efficient gaming hardware in a way that Nintendo doesn't do, but it's not because they don't know how to do it, I don't think. It's that they... It's not their priority. They want to make cheap toys that play silly, fun, nonsense games. Yep. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I mean, Microsoft wouldn't sign off on shit like Labo and that. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Well, I don't know. They signed off on fucking Connect. Let's not... Well, that was copying something that was already successful. It was copying something Nintendo had already done. Like, I don't think they'd have signed up to make the Wii, which would have led them to make Connect. Yeah, we'd, we'd have, you know, if, if Labo had taken off, they'd have done ploppy plops. Ah, we know that for a long time, Microsoft has been like, hey, let's buy up companies to, you know, fill in the weaknesses in our gap. I just never imagined that this early on in trying to make Xbox a thing, that they would have tried to swing this hard for these. These are bigger names than I expected them trying to acquire in the early days. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at all the other acquisitions in the industry, you know, you look at Bethesda and EA and that, you know, it's sharks circling smaller fish. Just seeing what they can swallow. Yeah. Yeah. And you also, I mean, this goes right back to Microsoft's origins. Yeah. They are a big successful company because they acquired the licensing and distribution rights to a piece of software that they didn't really make. Yeah. Yeah. It's always been the game. Yeah. It's weird to picture a world in which... Microsoft in the year 2000 was like, yes, we can, we can foresee ourselves having Square and Nintendo as first party developers. That is a strange timeline. That is a that is a timeline that I mean, we almost got the Nintendo PlayStation. This isn't that much weirder. Yeah. God, I I really hope 
that Microsoft doesn't get super giant. Yeah, yeah. After what Hades has been, that that crunch free thing as well. That was something I really had to stress in the the Game of the Year Jimquisition uh, Awards. Mm-hmm. I did. It's, it's just they took their time. There's twelve of them, and they. The talent of, among them as voice actors and stuff, they didn't need to get the same five that, that all the other games use. They had everything. They did everything. Twelve of them and didn't crunch. Fucking hell. I, I will say, acquisitions I hope Microsoft does make. Um, I want to see them acquire Don't Nod. Because tell me why the first game that they did like with Microsoft as a Microsoft exclusive, by far the most polished thing they've ever made. And I feel like... Microsoft money helped with that a lot. Yeah. And I'm like that's that's a that's a company where it's like, "Oh, yeah, have have some Microsoft money and keep making the good stuff." Hey, Hades, Supergiant's already making good stuff. They don't need the buyout. Well, yeah, and and with Microsoft it really depends on whether they will let them keep doing their thing. Yeah. Which they seem to do not reliably. I mean, Rare being the most notorious example of that. <laughs> oh, God, Rare. Yeah. But, you know, I, I hope that Supergiant not only manages to keep this kind of model going independently, but more studios. I know you're going to have to have somewhat of a, a bit of existing clout to be able to leverage something like Early Access or, or any crowdfunding as well, sort of properly. But I do hope more studios can follow... Uh, what Hades has done and, and sort of more do that. And, you know, I'm not going to suggest Supergiant's the only studio in the world that's done it. I'm sure many have that I can't remember off the top of my head, but I want to see more done exactly that way because look at what it did. Yeah, agreed. I think that's that's I think that's everything for this week. Yeah. I think we I think we did it all. Yeah, we did, well we did it all for a podcast, but it's not all that someone could enjoy from from us. I mean, I know at least one person has written more than one book and does other podcasts and videos and and, and stuff. And that person's called Laura, and and she'll tell you all about it. Oh heck, yeah, Laura K Buzz in all the places: Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. A dollar or a pound or a euro a month really helps over there. Uh, you can find me Twitch streaming Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. Every Friday I upload episodes of Accessibility on YouTube, which is a show all about accessibility and representation in the games industry. This week's episode is a big 2020 recap, so if you've never watched Accessibility before, just watch this one. I, I, I basically cover a whole year's worth of stuff by skimming over it in one sentence, going like, this game did this, this game did this, go, go, go. It'll be a good one. Watch it. Watch it. Go watch it. If all of you watched it, it would have better views than it has now. That is true. It's maths. Yeah, that's maths right there. There's books. Uncomfortable Labels, it's out now. It's about being an autistic trans woman and how those things intersect with each other and are more common than you would think. You can get it where books are sold or as an audiobook on laurakbuzzstore.com. There's also Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, which is coming out on February 4th, 2021. That's less than a month away. Keep your eyes open. Go get that book. It's a good book. Then there's Gender Euphoria, which is... It's just a book of of non-cis people telling their positive gender-affirming stories of experiences they had. It's a good, feel-good trans book of 
not 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 miserable stories. It's a good time. If you want to get your name in the back of that book in every printing of it that happens, if you go to Unbound, I think you've got until Friday of next week to support the book on Unbound before they start getting it ready for the printers, at which point you missed your chance to have your name in there. So that's a thing you can do. Nice. That's coming out June 10th, 2021. Also, uh, there's podcasts. Queer and Pleasant Strangers. It's about things that aren't exclusively video games. There's Dice Funk as well. That's another one. It's a D&D podcast. I'm on seasons three, four, five, six, and 7 with Conrad. Oh, you certainly are. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman, or you can help support me in all the internet things I do on f- Patreon, patreon.com slash fistshark. You can come hang out with me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman, Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you can also listen to Boston's Favorite Son, which is a podcast that I do with my good friend Jim Sterling and our very good friend Jonathan, uh, trying to make him famous. Been, uh, been doing more episodes of that regularly, mm-hmm. so make sure you go check that out. And, uh, speaking of Jim, Jim, you have a Patreon, don't you? Oh, my friend, I do. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. You can look at that. Um, you can go on that if you want. Uh, today's, or today's, this week's Jimquisition was the Jimquisition Awards. So I was pleased with that. Pleased how that turned out. Um, got some good games on there, so can't argue with that. Um, I also do Twitch streaming here and there. Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Try and get on there at least once a week. Try and do twice um and that's about it you know we've done another one so everyone be happy with that and and we'll see you next time and and good bye bye yeah yeah good